when the post game podcast ends, the post game podcast podcast begins coming up here in a second. We ask the big question, how good is this Brooklyn Nets team? And do we need to start to elevate expectations? We dive in coming up next. You are locked on nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends. It is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. He's Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Marmbeck. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. We're 100% free on all those great platforms. And as we say, the post-pod pod, Doug, is all about the fans live on YouTube. Get your questions in as we'll kick it off with a question of our own. Just how good is this Brooklyn Nets team, Doug? Well, this is going to be something we're probably going to end up talking about uh, going forward here more and more because, and we'll probably be the only people talking about it because I know the rest of the NBA is not going to talk about it because the Nets are unexciting and they don't play a lot of national games. They don't have really any big superstars and they're just not really, you know, they're not front page material. Mm -hmm. But statistically at this point, like it's getting very difficult to ignore really (laughs) just what the Nets have done so far. Right. So like, Besides, they're just 12 and they're 12 and nine. Right. So and that only lands them seventh in the East. But I mean, there's like a one or two games separation between them and uh, the fourth seed. Mm-hmm. They have the uh, six best point differential in the entire NBA. If you go to some metrics like BPI, which I'm just always going to reference because they're so high in that. They're like That's fifth right. overall in the NBA. Might be the uh, only metric that matters. But and but the thing is, too. It, it kind of throws you off because, like, even when I read those, I'm like, come on. But then when you just look at the in the aggregate, the the results here that have happened, I mean, what can you what can you say? They're so far above where anyone thought they were going to be. And I think for probably most people, maybe even me included, I keep waiting for like, OK, this probably can't continue. Right. Thirty seven and a half wins was the number, maybe five hundred. Like, I think that's like a good was a pretty decent, reasonable explanation, exp, um, expectation 500. Right. That's well above where Vegas had them. Like if you had them at 500 for this year, but now they're trending sort of beyond that in a way that feels not lucky. <laughs> and I think that like, because that's the case, we have to really start talking, taking them seriously in terms of like, I don't know how good are they? I mean, are they just. Are they like fourth seed in the East? Good. I don't, I don't know. I like fifth seed. I, like that's and the reason I say it's like that's way beyond anywhere I would have put them before the season. So the fact that I'm even considering it, I feel like, is testament to just how good they've been. And, and yeah, I mean, listen, from my perspective, right when we gave our predictions, I said give me 42 and 40, and I felt like I was being bullish on this team coming into the year. Right? I said, hey, maybe there's there's a world where they're trying to get themselves out of where they are right now. And at 12 and nine, I mean, honestly, the East. It's obviously been competitive. It's a little bit more congested than we expected it to be, probably from top to bottom, or certainly starting at that three and four seed working its way down. But it's rate kind of where I I thought they could be from a record standpoint, but not from the eye test, right? There's there's kind of a difference here. And this game tonight is probably a good example. Other games like this, I don't know. We always said they're going to be a tough out. They're always going to play you hard. But I never necessarily looked at the schedule and thought, well, there'll be blowout games, wins that this team is going to put on others, right? There'll be nights when you can rest Mikhail Bridges. I, honestly, I said this um, earlier today when I was doing a, a spot somewhere. I can't remember where. And I'll reference it at some point. The Nets, Mikhail Bridges, you go look at his numbers. I think it's, does it start there for you? Like I, we talked about how deep they are. But Mikhail Bridges' numbers now, 
it was something over like the last 10 games. And now this 11th game, I had to check how much it dropped. His splits were 53, 50 and 86. Like we said, Oh, slow start for him to get on the year here. 26, 27 points a game was, was average over those last 10 games. So at some point, our own adjustment down from where he started the year, quote unquote down. Now we start to bring that up. And now you start to bring some of these role players up. And we talk about Cam Thomas and we talk about Dayron and we talk about Claxton. And we talk about Dennis Smith Jr. When you start listing more and more players that are overachieving or are outshining expectations, well, how can it not inform that the team has to be better than, right? Like the team has to have higher expectations if everyone we look at pretty much across the board is playing better. Yeah, last three games for uh, for uh, Mikhail, 61 and a half from the field, 60 from three, uh, 87 from the line, 37 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists over the last three games. And that was with get, getting his minutes buzzed against the Wizards because of the blowout. Right. He's been ridiculous. He's been totally ridiculous. It's been exactly back to what he was at the end of the year for the Nets. Um, and when he you know took that first leap, I think he's like basically back to that player. So I don't think he's like gone back beyond that player, but he's back. No, no. It feels like to being that player, which is still, you know, a top 25 player in the NBA, something like that, you know, maybe a tick lower, but like still, yes, like him getting there combined with what we talked about before, which was everyone is good is good to very good on this team. And when you have 10 guys that are good or very good that you can play in any moment, you are just going to one, you're, you're, you are going to just be a good team Two, You're going to be in a massive pain for some of these other teams. Like yeah. they've been a pain for every team, except for Boston. They've basically been in every game or won them. <laughs> right. Like I like there's been no other, have they been blown out before any other time? I don't. They, I don't think they have. Right? Like they yeah, every other game. The Sixers every Sixers game, maybe was that the one other one that they? Oh, had the Sixers year? one. Yeah, yeah, the Sixers game. They 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 got blown but, out. Okay, so like th so there's been three out of twenty two games. There's been three bad losses. Let's say I'll double check this while you go, right. but I'll just I'll just to make sure. But yep. like that's a that's a big sample size of just being good to very good now. And I it's not and it's not accident. It's not like they're running hot from three. It's not there's none of these like accidents are happening here. They're just like kind of just good in a lot of different facets of the game. That's the other thing too, right? Is that I think over the first few games they they lose on the buzzer beater from from Donovan Mitchell, the Chuck from Luca with the Mavs, right? Okay, you're playing these good teams tough and you're coming out on the losing end. Okay, but it's still a positive sign. But then you get five games and 10 games and 15 and 20 games. The further you get down the season where they still stand like the rebounding, right? We, it's always been a problem. It's always, it's not a problem. It's not yeah. a problem anymore because you're too far along to say, oh, well, they're doing it. You know, they're getting lucky. Nope. They're not getting lucky. They're dominating teams. They lead the league in rebounds. That's it. They are now a, they are now the best rebounding team in the NBA. The perimeter shooting has come around. The depth has come around. So I think that's a big part of it for me too. At a certain point, you have to just take a step back and say, there's enough of a sample size here that I need to allow it to inform my opinion. Otherwise, and like you say, maybe, maybe not nationally, no one's going to account for it. But otherwise, you're just being dismissive of a really good story in the NBA and the product of here's something that some Nets fans don't like to hear. Really good scheming, really good coaching, good evaluation, good adjustments, I mean, like good development. Like at some point, th that's what this is. It's a product of the coaching staff and putting these guys in great positions to be successful. No, I'm I'm just not sure how you can have a complaint with the coach at this point. Like, yeah. I, I just don't like know what you would complain about short of just that, like every team complains about their coach a little bit, sure. right? Like short of that, I just don't know what you even kind of lean on for Vaughn. They've come out, they've had great, you know, after timeout stuff, they've run, they're running more design sets. Like they're getting the hand, the ball into the hands of the guys that can score, right? Like they're, 
they they look like a fluid a pretty fluid passing team the defense is still kind of rough but we've talked about that it's like they're playing you know base coverages maybe to just sort of mask the fact that they don't have they think they can't do other stuff and and that might just be what it is and maybe that's just like the best chance like they've gone away from the switching scheme which had its own problems so, so yeah. i just don't know what you really like what you really lodge as a, compl- lodge as a complaint about about Jack Vaughn. I, I it, it feels impossible. Just you just don't like him. Like I don't like at this point. Like they're twelve and nine with a six best point differential, and they have a forty two million dollar guy who's been basically a zero. So right. I, like they're they're probably actually that contract away from being amazing, <laughs> right? Like they're probably like that if that contract is kind of like anybody else in that forty two million dollar range. I mean, really, just about anybody else, except for like a few guys. Yeah, but I ran off that list of like guys that make like thirty-two to forty million dollars the other day, and was like, pick almost anyone. Now it's their them. it's their fault for having them, hundred percent. So like, like you don't they don't get points, do, you know, given for having them. But I don't know, like I just don't at this point, I just don't know what the you know the, I, don't, I just can't even figure out what the general complaint is. Then that's just a good team. Let's get into not only the fan questions, but I even have a follow-up to this because now we're starting to rock and roll here on this whole agenda about the Brooklyn Nets being better than people anticipated. We'll get into that in just one second. All right, another reminder for you out there about our friends over at Prize Picks during basketball season. There's no better place than Prize Picks. If you were over there in Prize Picks tonight, especially with Cam Thomas. Now, I didn't do this tonight myself, but if you're going more, just because I was just a little gun-shy after the, the Atlanta Hawks stuff, but if you're going more or less on some of the points, on some of the rebounds, some of the assists for guys like Cam Thomas, this is just where you can just sort of live over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks has made daily fantasy made so easy. You're taking players, you're going more or less on their projections, points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, football, it's, you know, touchdowns, receiving yards, rushing yards, passing yards, all the good stuff that you love about fantasy. You take those players, you go more or less on their projections, and you can win up to 25 times your money. Even grab a reboot policy. So if one of your players gets injured, you're not going to just get that whole thing sunk. Like you are in some other operators, PrizePix is going to reboot. That's the only daily fantasy platform with insurance policy on those injuries. Go to PrizePix.com slash LockedOnNBA. Use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's PrizePix.com slash LockedOnNBA. Code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, so as we continue the post-podcast podcast, one, one last note there. It was like, hey, having Ben Simmons is the Brooklyn Nets problem. They made that choice. Not Jock Vaughn's choice, though, right? So he is succeeding in an area while not having that player and not have another having to deal with a player that can't be counted on to necessarily be healthy is certainly one thing I want to bring up. Now, the one last note I'll make here before we get into the comments at Locked On Nets, you guys know the deal. We already have some startup here. I will also acknowledge that I, yours truly, Adam Armbrecht, there's only two things that excite me really at an elite level when it comes to being a guy that watches and loves the Nets. It's one, youth. Young players, I never want to give away any, and I always want more of them back, and I always think that they can always get there. And frankly, I'm being proven right on Nicholas Claxton, Dayron Sharp, and Cam Thomas. But I also love trades, and I love trade machines. And I just spent a lot of time, we had the discussion around Dorian Finney-Smith, right? When is the right time to pull the trigger? You want to maximize the value. It's still true. But I'll ask the question to you, Doug, because I think you are, and I don't mean this as a negative, you are the reasonable mind who goes, well, you want to get the value for these guys before there's no more value. Does this team playing as well as they have start to change your mind about what is it worth to sacrifice getting a pick this season for next year's draft and keeping a Royce O'Neal and keeping a Dorian Finney-Smith and just kind of keeping this band together because there has been this, this hey, someone's going to go down with an injury and we have someone to step up. And if we start piecing it apart, 
well, then we don't have we don't necessarily have that continuity, that depth that we've built. Yeah, I think it probably changes it some. I mean, ultimately, look, the ultimate goal you the, the basketball is hard. Uh, all sports are hard, but basketball is tough because the, the main goal is to win championships, right? Yeah. Like your main goal has to be to win championships. You really shouldn't be functioning as an organization if that's not your goal. Like I, that's that that's not a hot take. Like that's just the whole goal. Now, that being said, there's only one championship every year and it's very difficult and it does take a certain combination of players, typically one of the five best on your team to be able to really even have a chance. And if you don't have that, you are stuck in a sort of a part like what to do, right? Because at that point, you shouldn't be bad for bad sake, for sure. And the Nets at this point, probably, I guess what you're asking is like, is it worth being less fun? to get a pick in the future. Like, is it worth, right. is it, is it worth, is it, is the, is the, the downside of being, I don't know, 20% less fun is worth enough to try to get two first round picks in the next, you know, couple years. Right. I, I, maybe, probably not. I, like, I, I don't know. Like, and I think that probably my guess is that as we go on here, you know, lots of stuff can happen. So as we go on here, the Nets will probably see it the same way is that, they want to just be a fun team yeah. that maybe can play spoiler dude, and wins games. And I'm going to tell you, right? Like, cause like if they're the deadline, they're around the seventh seed and they have a winning record and they're right in there competing. It's going to be really hard to make a decision that, you know, is going to start to tumble you down. Yeah, the it's interesting. And then the other thing is too, like, I'll just say, man, uh, there's, there's, you know, social media is a bit of a, a bit of a cesspool at times. There's people out there and you, we talk about it, only one team can win the championship, right? So 29 other teams quote fail. But there's a lot of other measures of success to a season. So when I hear some fans saying there's only one goal, and if you're not pursuing that, if you're not stripping things for parts, at that point then, there just comes a time when I guess maybe you should follow the Wizards model and be like, yeah, we're going to win six games this year, and that's going to be our model, right? And that's not fun. That's not fun on any level. And those tank years, you can tell me that you know the, the, the light at the end of that tunnel is very bright. Okay, fine, but I can list a number of scenarios where teams have followed that model. And the result has still been medium-level playoff success and never getting to the finals. The Philadelphia 76ers are a prime example of this. They tried it. They bottomed out. They got real good. They have Joel Embiid. They haven't achieved the ultimate goal. And you can make an argument that, that watching that team is probably far more frustrating over the last handful of years than it was in the pre-superstar era for the Nets, where it's like, no, you're not going to win a championship and also, right? And also, this is really fun and exciting. And night after night, you feel like it's a real buzz watching your team. Okay, and I will say the flip side of this, though, because there's another version of this. The other version of this is you are the Bulls or the Wizards pre this team, which yes. is like you thought you were a little better than you were, and you're just five straight years of just first-round exits where you get swept, and it's like you're always just kind of 500. So I think like for a year or two, this version is okay. Mm -hmm. It's where it's this version in year four where you, do, you don't want to be this version in year four, right? 100%. Like that's where it starts to get hard. Like you definitely don't want to be like where the Pistons are right now, losing 18 straight. You don't want to be, and you, and you, but you also just don't want to be where the Bulls are or have been for the last four years. Like they got Levine, they got Vuj, they got DDR, it didn't really work. And now they got nothing for it except yeah. for just like disappointment. So I, right now it's fun. I think the Nets are fun because the expectations were lower and they're exceed. This is all the always we talked about this a million times. This is always yeah. the formula. What your expectations are, and if you're better than that, it's fun. And if the expectations 
are higher and, it, and it's not as good, then it's this devastating. And it's really just about your expectations. So now the expectations are, are, are low or lower. And I think this is why it's kind of fun. We'll close this out. Um, I'll ask you another kind of boldish question around the Brooklyn Nets as they move forward. But first, though, let's hit some of these uh, comments here. We're going to go back to back with my Holy King frequent flyer. First of all, Harry Giles is just getting warmed up. You got to let the man cook at some point. I love I love the play. He's a good guy and he usually has a good perspective and usually has a little bit of humor. So I appreciate that one. Just wanted to get it up there and then a double down because he came right back in. What does anybody want Jordan Poole? This is, I think, the one of the functional problems of like what the Wizards have done here. Because even you mentioned Vince Carter, uh, tip of his cap as he joined the broadcasting team for the Yes Network. Um, it, it was like, you know, they're going to struggle and there's going to be you know plenty of teams who maybe want some of these players. Like, will they, though? Like, I know that the skill set looks different when you have superstars ahead of them. But <laughs> Jordan Poole, Kuzma, I don't know. Like, I think you're putting some of your worst qualities on tape while with the Washington Wizards to where like teams coming calling for them that may end up being more of a ride it out for them than anything else so I find that uh certainly chuckle worthy as well um let's get to a good one here though from Jay Law Jr and I don't think I've seen you before man welcome Cam Thomas is learning to play within the offense and less isolation basketball we mentioned that and I think that it's 100% true and this is the next step for him and this is maybe what raises and elevates expectations for this team as Cam Thomas's development goes this year, even though you have all these other high-level players, Mikhail Bridges and otherwise, so too may go the team. If he ratchets it up and becomes a four of five assist per night guy and gives you the 20-plus night performances and can take over games, yeah, then we're talking about maybe having that early seeds of a, of a guy that's going to be a top talent in the league going forward. Yeah, the five assists the other night were his were his best, and then we took we had a you know a dip down because the the aforementioned Hawks thing where they just kind of took a new tack toward him, and it'd be interesting to see what other teams like real teams do going yeah. forward. But the, for him to get back to four assists in this one, which was represented like the second best of his career, so him to go five assists and four assists in two of the last three games with like the with the one in between i think we can point to a for sure reason why it didn't happen mm -hmm. right like there was like a direct one-to-one correlate they took a totally different defensive scheme against him and applied it and applied it over and over and over yeah like if he's gonna play like this we talked about it earlier if he's gonna play like this the offense has a really high ceiling like they just do he's too dangerous like he's yeah. just too dangerous if he's gonna pass out of uh, less than advantageous situations quickly to shooters. The Nets have like a really high ceiling on offense. Con in the chat here. Want to get shout out to him here. The most enjoyable team is OKC uh, youth coaching potential have to move assets before they depreciate. I uh, Doug loves the, the, I think is a fan of what OKC has done. You know, they've oh, gotten yeah. themselves into a good position. They have a lot of talented players. I, I, I agree with you in that, yes, you need to move before they depreciate, but there's also a reminder here. The Nets also have a ton of picks from other teams right now that project out potentially to be very high uh, on the draft board. So they do already have a pretty good collection. Though yeah, yeah, but not having control the difference here is problem. there's a huge difference, though. The difference is these guys, the, 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 the difference is OKC has like real those top five guys we were mentioning, like top 10 players in the NBA, they have like potentially those guys on the, on the yeah, roster. Of course. Like, yeah, and, of course. and like, that's a huge, and that's a huge difference. Like Shay is amazing. Um, Chet but, and, and is, they got them by being bad enough to have their own controlled draft capital. And that's the difference for the Brooklyn Nets. Like exactly. they're, they're never going to get there unless they, and, and stripping away some assets like a Dorian Finney Smith before he depreciates, 
isn't going to get you to the bottom. You have to get. Well, they got Shea in a PG trade, right? So that's right. Yeah. Um, they get so they didn't draft him, but they recognize they, but they they got him and all the draft picks from the Clippers. Um, and then they bought they basically bottomed out for like one year and got and and Spike Chet, who I was feeling awesome about my Chet. I had like a, 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 I mean. A mortgage payment on <laughs> Chet Futures for Rookie of the Year here, and I was feeling amazing about it. And then they just moved Victor Wembanyama to center and Sack Collins, and Wembanyama is going to go in like for twenty twenty right now. And I'm starting to feel way worse because I have like Chet Holmgren like plus five hundred. I have the field plus three hundred. Like mm-hmm. like a decent amount of stuff here on Rookie of the Year. Anyway, point being, I'm paying very close attention to what's happening in OKC <laughs> and now. Um, and and I always I have Shea MVP stuff too. Um, and I probably have the over on their wins i have a lot of i love the okc going into this year and anyway i forgot where i was going except i just started talking about how much i like coast okay anyway you're just singing your own praises there a little bit but no just that oh sorry i was pointing out the difference between like they're they they have one difference here is that like they are further along on this because they have legit superstars like right right. like even if can thomas is really good and he, he could become x whatever that is but when you're taking late in the first round, there's a difference in pedigree. And like Chet is way better than Claxton, right. Right. I think. Right. right. Like Shea is way better than Mikhail, I think. Right. right? Um, and I just think that it's it, it just like they're, they're just like there's just a slightly different thing. I, but I don't think that's like a, a hot take. I think most people would agree with that. No, Jonathan Thomas in the building here with what do we think Mikhail uh, is Mikhail's ceiling? I mean, we we, we kind of outlined this like in the off season, right? Like, I mean, last year was a really good sample size. We didn't know if that'd be wholly sustainable. We we actually, we, we talked about this coming in that we didn't think him averaging 27, 28 points a night was going to be sustainable, but living in the 22 to 24 point per night range was certainly going to be a part of that. And I think you framed this before about ultimately it's like you'd, you'd like to get to a place where you get another guy that's elite at McHale and slightly above McHale's level, because then McHale becomes probably the best version of himself because he gets to, to, you know, succeed when everyone else is focusing on another top guy. Right. Yeah. I kind of think like right now is the, is McHale's ceiling. I think like what 60, we're seeing now plus from the field. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Not that no, I, like, I, I think like the version of him we're seeing now is pretty much it. Right. Yeah. And that's great. It's not a knock on him. I just don't, I'm not sure there's another level for him. Mm. I, I just think that he's probably, this is what he is, right? He's like a really efficient scorer. Um, He's a decent defender. Um, I'm not sure. Like he's jumped off the page there this season. Um, Go ahead. No, no, it's, it's unrelated. So he's also an elite level head waggler. I, I was just going to point out that I looked it up. Um, I, I didn't realize that Dayron Sharp, his defensive rating is like one ten point something. It's him and Nicholas Claxton. They lead the team in defensive rating right now. And we had that conversation about him in the full episode. Like th- that's also why those guys are so successful and important for this team because they're anchoring the defense. Where Mikhail, you said, I, th- I think decent is probably the right way to frame it because he. He, it hasn't looked the same way that it did when he was playing behind superstars in Phoenix, which, which is understandable now, right? Yeah, yeah. I just think that I, I, it's, this is not a knock on him. I just think like I, I kind of put him in like the top 30 players this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that my opinion is really not changed all that much. I, yeah. I think that there's and, and and you could probably go five spots higher and feel OK about it. You could probably go like three or four spots lower and you're probably pushing it or something like that. I feel like that's the band around where he is. I just not sure there's just another level that he can go to. But the thing is like that next, but the thing is like that next level is like the best guys ever. (laughs) Like, like, okay, let me put it this way. Do you think he can be Jason Tatum? Probably not. 
Right. Right. Like, and like, that's the next level. And so I, I just don't think that he's going to be able to get there. The one thing that I would like, and we saw this in the Atlanta game, we talked about it. No timeout goes down the court, gets to a spot, elbow jumper yeah. winner. Right. And Vaughn talked about Mikhail kind of like leaning into that. He is the, the best player on this team and, and what that means. If you can start to give me more and more of those late game clutch moments where a ball in his hand and he goes out and does it. Cause I don't, to your point, like I think, all the other stuff is probably where it's at, and that's a positive. But if you add in that late game clutch, then that probably elevates him in a really good way, at least for this team in the short term. This was a good one, and then it'll dovetail into, I think, the closeout question I wanted to get to. Uh, Ralph in the house. How many wins do you think we can pick up on this West Coast trip? Now, this is so this is a little bit like now contextualizing, right? Six out of seven, home stands, some bad teams mixed in there. You got the healthy wins. Do you, has, has everything you've seen to this point make you look out at this upcoming West Coast trip and say, okay, it doesn't have to be as daunting as it maybe looked at the start of the year, and we can treat this as an opportunity to, again, play clean teams close like we have with some of the better rosters, but Sacramento, Phoenix, Denver, Golden State, Utah, before they come back home, by the way, for the Knicks and then for Denver as well. Okay, so put this in context they will be underdogs in four of these five games for sure. Right. And in Denver, they might be like minus nine or something like that. Um, I'm trying to, I'm just going to ballpark where I think these are Sacramento. They'll probably be like minus five and a half minus six Phoenix. It depends who plays Katie sat in this tonight as we're talking. So I will probably be back by that point. Beal is working his way back. I'm going to guess there's something like minus four and a half, five against Phoenix. I've mentioned Denver. They're, probably like minus nine. We'll see where golden state probably golden states in OT right now. But the point be, they're going to be underdogs in all four of those games for sure. Utah. I mean, they're kind of on the tank, the tank trip here. So maybe it's like even, or that's slight favorites. I'm not even sure about that. Maybe Utah slight favorite. I think, I mean, if they went two and three on this one, that would be amazing. Uh, I think it's hard to, it's hard to tell yourself a story. that's better than that. And, and by the way, the, Good. A good version of two and three is like two and three and and in and in close games, right? You're yeah. in close games in in four out of the five, they're all close. You pick up two wins and then the other three games, right? Two out of those three games that you lose, they're tight, you're battling, and it maybe gets pulled away there in the back end, right? You want to tell me that Denver blows you out, so be it. Um they're, they're gonna be tough matchups, but I think I, I'm right on the same page with you. Two and three would be to me, success. Um, and like I said, just like just framing it as like where and now look, the Nets are one of the best against the spread this season. They won another one against the spread tonight. Like they are, they are the best team against the spread this season. So they, it, just going by markets and by lines has not been a phenomenal way to evaluate. We spent the last you know fifty minutes basically telling you the Nets have way exceeded expectations here. So right. on, on on all fronts, both you know value wise and actual real basketball wise. So. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm underselling it so I can be pleasantly surprised. I'm not sure. The other thing that I'll say is, and I'm actually going to leave this as a cliffhanger. We can take any other ones that you want that you see in here in the chat. And we always appreciate everybody being in here with us on the post games. Maybe this is like the cliffhanger question that this road trip can inform. And then again, Knicks, Denver back at home again. So there'll be, there'll be some things here, but maybe this five game road trip. And then those couple games thereafter will inform the idea of is there any chance where the Nets consider being mild buyers as opposed to standing pat or sellers? That was always, it was like, hey, you'll be sellers at the deadline for sure this year. Then it's, well, maybe we just stand pat here because we like what we have. I wonder if they can if they can do anything on a road trip like this and go, okay, 
Like maybe we are a move away here from pushing ourselves into the top five and the top four seed conversation. And I, and I really just philosophically, I wonder what that means to an organization to say, it doesn't mean we're going to go get, you know, superstar X and go for a championship this year. I'm not talking about that, but just cement ourselves as a top five, be above the Knicks at the end of the season in the standings. Like there, there's some cachet to that. Like, I think there is means that or putting yourself in a spot where you feel like you can compete and potentially win a playoff series as opposed to being high level competitive and still getting knocked out in the first round. Like, I think that some of those things are really interesting and staying away from a one, eight matchup is going to be kind of critical. I think in these scenarios. Yeah, I think I generally agree with that. I, I don't think they're going to be buyers. I don't think they, I, even if they wanted to be, I don't think they have the means with which to do it. I, it's mostly just the Simmons contract. Like they just can't, it's not, it's unmovable. So I don't even think yeah. like any reasonable piece would like be able to move. Let me hit a couple of uh, stars here on the way out here. Here we go. Claude. Claude. Positive. I'll go out on a limb, predict the Nets go three and two on the West Coast swing. Here for it. Um, Can't even see it. Can't even see it. Nets currently have a better net rating than every team they'll face in the West Coast trip. Uh, Yeah. This is a good point by William. I I will also say that I just can't favor them over Denver or, you know, (laughs) or some of these places when you go into their, like, I I, I get that, like, some of these other teams. I mean, Denver played without Jamal Murray forever. Phoenix has been without basically like you know booker and and beal at times like i i think that these team maybe sacramento has been pretty healthy but mm-hmm. um i just don't think you they might miss fox for like maybe like three games but um i just don't think you can uh, this is where that rating is like i don't know there might be a little context here it's hard to imagine them maybe the warriors maybe you're like hey the warriors are kind of cooked i don't know like i could see yeah. i could see that one warriors have struggled this year they were in overtime yeah they just lost to okc in overtime um and they're 10 and 12 in the season. I don't know. Maybe you think warriors are just, you know, not that team, foot, right? They have the name, foot in the grave, really the legs. Yeah. Oh, Shay 38, five G's. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the Warriors. I don't know. Like maybe I, that's, that's one they won't be favored, but there's, there, there's an, there's an IKB. I know better kind of thing maybe going on here where, you know, like the nets are better than these are good at betting opportunities. But by the way, if if you bet the spread, if you bet the the against the spread on on the Nets this season, you are crushing. It's been an absolute printing factory. <laughs> so like if you just took steady hand approach on the Nets this year and just bet every bet like bet their spread every single time, mm. I mean you're I don't know like an eighty percent win rate or something like that. And like I'll just note this when you bring the when you bring the next one that like we say this West Coast trip and then New York and Denver coming back. They have a home and home against Detroit after that. Milwaukee. Let's go. Then like exactly, and then they'll have Washington, OKC, which will be in Oklahoma City. This they have another four game road trip, but that leads you up like to the end of December. And I only point that out to like for every stretch that you play, really tough teams and matchups. Like there's there's also bad teams, and there's also games you just feel co- more confident about with the Nets now than before. And that's where I think when you go back and look at it, it's like I, they they have staying power because that's the way the schedule like, the schedule always balances out. You're always going to catch these kind of pockets, and by and large, again, outside of that Charlotte game. Every time that we've walked into a game, we've previewed and said, oh, whether it was matchup based or the last heat game where they had injuries, it was like they have to go win this game. They should go win this game. They've gone and won that game so that that actually has like some bankable, you know, in your mind collateral of like, oh, yeah, when they should win, they've won. They've won by and large. And that's when you can look at the schedule and feel confident. 
All right, hang with me here for one second. I want to look at something with this Pistons game. Um, mm-hmm. Vamp for two seconds here. I'm almost, I'm almost there. Dude, it's never a problem to vamp. I see Tamro in there as well. Uh, thank you for being in a part of the action. We mentioned my holy king. William has been. Oh, William's <sighs> up there actually. He was the one that we had. With <laughs> All right, I got the answer. Hold on. Okay, pause. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I was just counting it out real quick. So I looked real quick to see what the all-time most consecutive losses in the NBA was. Was and the uh, the number is 28 by the Sixers, but I think that might not be in the in the modern era. So mm-hmm. if you project out and the Pistons keep losing. The Nets would be on the Nets would be in that back to back would go for Detroit's 26th and 27th loss in a row. So here's what we need. We really need the Pistons to keep losing so the Nets can butt up against history by continuing the losing streak when they're able to pile on two more losses for the for the Pistons. That's what that's what that's what I'm looking ahead for. Well, by the way, like not because, you know, the 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 only reason that the. Washington Wizards aren't on like an 18 game losing streak. So they beat the Pistons. Like, go look at their schedule. They got a real chance. I feel. I feel like. I feel like the Wizards want that record in a season like this. They've got back to backs against the Cavs coming up. They've got the Kings. They've got the uh, Indiana Pacers. Which, by the way, I also think that we should be doing something. We got to hit up Tony East because coming oh. into the year, we were in strikingly similar spots. What just happened? Sorry. Okay, I knew this was wrong. Okay, they are going to have a chance to beat it because the Sixers twenty eight. They were so bad for so long. They, that spanned over two years. The the 26 number is the most consecutive losses in one season. So here we're, we're butting up against history here, folks. If the Pistons can keep losing, the Nets would go for beating the, the 26th and 27th time. So that's just something to keep an eye out. And the real problem here is um, 17 games from now, the Wizards will play the Pistons. So they can't get that record. That's the problem right there for them. Um, there no, but I, I do want to get on with Tony East at some point because the Pacers, it, I feel like we talked about them in the same way. And ironically, coming into the season, Ironically, the difference is Tyrese Halliburton, right? And, and and what he is doing to start this year. And you feel like, man, to hear the way that he's talked, um, Woj was talking about him ahead of the Bucks matchup the other night in the in-season tournament, where it was like Halliburton is t- taking the in-season tournament and basically being like, hey, hey, fellas, you know where you want to play? Indy with me. Like he he wants to bring players there. And having a guy like that, a star like that, seeming, seeming you know, about to explode here, having him have that gravity to pull players to a quote non-destination city. That's such a huge difference. I'm very interested to see how Tony's been tracking them. All right. We, I think we're going to call it quits here. Ben, you know, yeah, over an hour in the old YouTube live, really appreciate everyone that Whee! jumped in following this wizards. The Nets drubbing of the wizards. You never know though. They no, one going to, <laughs> you never got know. It. no one's going to any great. He won. I did his attitude. The Tyrese has been unbelievable. He's made the holdings. He, him and That's LeBron. I mean. Yeah. My favorite two storylines. I'm gonna. This is my closing thought. My favorite two storylines are Tyrese Halliburton being how good he is, and like just this massive story, and LeBron clearly saying to himself, "Oh, this is the first year of this thing. I'm going to win that," <laughs> and because yeah, that he played fun. against the Pelicans. I mean, it looked like he had taken drugs before the game. Like he played so fast and so strong, took three charges. The guy hasn't taken three charges combined in like 70 straight games or something. Took three charges in the game. He's like, oh, there's a new thing here. I don't know what it is, but I'm winning it. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know if it'll mean anything in the future, but I know I'll be the first name on that trophy when they I I, I guarantee that's his thought process. The thought process is this is the first one. I'm being the MVP of the first one. Like I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. If you watch him the other game, there's no other explanation. 
he looked like the youngest guy on the court. He's like 50 years old. Like it, it was unbelievable. I was li- I was eyeing laughing. It was amazing. That is one of the most trackable, like uh Michael Jordan kind of traits, right? Kobe kind of traits of just like the idea yes. of like on the court, you give me a ball. I don't care. I remember watching Michael Jordan with the wizards where he was yelling, cursing out his younger, you know, 20 year younger teammates. Cause he's diving on the floor for a loose ball, busting his chin open. And it's like, this is what it is. This is what Trade. it is on a random night. in you know, in, in November, that's what I bring to this court every single time. It's my fantastic. name's going on that. My name now, my name. Yeah, okay, we're gonna get out yeah, here. Everybody gets a turn, <laughs> but, but me next. I love it. I love it. All right. We're going to get out of here. Much appreciate everyone. That's uh, uh, thank you. Lucky. Uh, uh, great show. Love your podcast. I'm saying that for the podcast feed. So everyone else can mirror the same, uh, the same love. Okay. We're going to get out of here. Much appreciate everyone that jumped in to the YouTube live. So much ch- fun chopping up some hoops. We, Quick scheduling note for everyone. West Coast just gets too late on the East Coast. We'll be doing our post games in the morning. So no live uh, no live stuff after the West Coast trip. We'll be back again when they return to the real part of the country, the East Coast. Uh, thanks again. We will be back again next week talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Everything is firing on all cylinders for me. That's Rory McElroy. We'll see you next week when we break down that West Coast trip. 